Welcome to War Room, the official podcast of the U.S. Army War College Online Journal, graciously supported by the Army War College Foundation. Please join the conversation at warroom.armywarcollege.edu. We hope you enjoy the program. Make sure not to miss a single podcast and subscribe to A Better Peace, the War Room podcast at iTunes, Google Play, or your favorite subscription service. Hello and welcome to A Better Peace, the War Room podcast. Thanks for joining us today. I'm Jacqueline Witt, Professor of Strategy and the War Room podcast editor here at the Army War College. One of the facets of military service is that the service is often international, and it usually requires working in multinational environments, sometimes on deployment, but also in the schoolhouse or if you're assigned to military posts overseas. Over the last year, a team of researchers from the Army War College conducted a study about succeeding in multinational staff assignments based on interviews with American and international students at the U.S. Army War College. And so today, I've invited two of the study's researchers to join me here in the studio to talk about their findings and their recommendations for people who are going to work in multinational teams. First, we have Colonel Christian Vial, who is on the faculty at the U.S. Army War College as an exchange officer from Chile. He has served in a variety of assignments in Chile and has also deployed in support of UN peacekeeping operations in East Timor and Haiti. Thank you, Jackie, for having me here. My pleasure. It's great to have you. And second, we have Dr. George Woods. George is a professor at the U.S. Army War College in the Department of Command, Leadership, and Management. He is a retired Army colonel who has served on several multinational staffs and teaches courses on leadership, international team building, and negotiation. Thanks, Jackie. It's a pleasure to be here. Okay, so gentlemen, thanks so much for coming today and joining me here on War Room. Uh, So I'd like to start with asking you about why you started the study. What was it that that got you interested in it and what you maybe hope to learn? Well, first of all, I think it's important to to mention that the project is part of the permanent improvement of the curriculum to fill gaps of knowledge in order to provide students uh, with fresh and updated knowledge to enhance their personal performance and a better understanding of the strategic environment. Uh, So faculties from DCLM received the feedback from the students in past years, uh, pointed out that they feel less prepared to face uh, the challenge of working in multinational staffs. So DCLM came up with this project whose purpose is to find what the common uh, challenges are, where they are, and how better prepare our officers to lead effectively and, uh, and inclusively. And eventually, the results of that translated into a new DCLM elective on multinational staffs uh, and to publications to inform uh, how we train and understand how we understand the multinational staffs. Yeah, so that seems really important that it's this combination of the teaching that we do in the classroom plus a research imperative that we have as faculty members, as scholars, and as practitioners to really improve our, the education of our students, but also to get the, get the word out outside of the walls of Carlisle Barracks uh, and the students who are here. Absolutely. Uh, But my answer would be uh, incomplete if I don't mention that the project is consistent with a U.S. military strategy. Uh, Back in 2015, the national military strategy mentioned some national military objectives. Among others, defeat violent extremist organization, uh, defeat state adversaries, but there was related to our project which was strengthen the global alliances and uh, partners. 
which uh, with the main goal of building relationships that serve mutual security interests. Later in 2018, uh, National Defense Strategy reiterated it by emphasizing on the importance of building alliances, uh, strengthen uh, alliances, and also attract new partners. Uh, because partners provide complementary capabilities and also perspectives to improve the American understanding mm -hmm. of the environment. Sure, and I think one of the things I notice, I teach different courses from, from the ones you all do, but we talk all the time about working in coalitions, working in alliances, and working with multinational partners and allies, but sometimes the specifics are, are maybe difficult. So I can, I can see why this study would be really important. Two of the researchers, uh, when faced with that question, if, if this is important to us in the national military strategy, they polled their own seminars to kind of get a feel for how prepared or comfortable uh, their students felt in going to serve in a multinational staff. Um, basically, the vast majority of them were uncomfortable or felt ill-prepared okay. to do that. Uh, second was uh, how many had served on multinational staffs. And again, it was like crickets chirping. Uh, many of them had not served on them specifically, and so they had no experience to rely on. So that, that also validated uh, the need that, to explore this further to see what gaps there are and what might inform the development of this elective to help better prepare them for that. One of the themes dealt with preparation. Um, and uh, what we found was while most participants noted that they did not arrive at their assignment as prepared as they would have liked to have been, both U.S. and international fellows felt that, uh, not un somewhat unsurprisingly, if you will, that they had prepared themselves to some degree uh, but didn't feel as well prepared, like I said, as, as they wish they had been. So, so where did their preparation come from? I mean, I would say largely the general military education uh, process that we have in various countries. Uh, professional military education gave them some general preparation uh, for the kinds of experiences uh, they would encounter uh, while serving on multinational mm -hmm. staffs. Those sometimes were supplemented by specific military training that may have been, if they knew where their assignment was going to be, there may have been some dedicated training to do some partial preparation uh, for those uh, assignments. And so uh, in some organizations they go to, if they already knew somebody that they were going to replace, there may have been a little bit more consultation and preparation uh, in the position that they were going to assume from that other person. Sometimes they had no idea where they were going to go or what job they were going to do. So that, uh, that sort of hindered their ability to prepare. Um, what they also found and, and identified, some organizations, not many, uh, did some uh, onboarding. Uh, or training as they began to arrive that began to assimilate them into the organization and get them best prepared before they were actually fully functioning in that staff function. But I think across the board, most would say, again, they were not as prepared as they would like yeah. to have been. It sounds almost like the students and other people who have worked have treated these assignments just like any other assignment where you go from one to the next with maybe a little bit of self-study, a little bit of handoff from your predecessor, maybe some reading, but the turnover is fast and rapid. You don't always know where you're going long in advance. Uh, and so it strikes me that, that one of the things that we might have to think about is how multinational staff assignments are different from everyday staff assignments that maybe, where maybe that transition is, is a little bit easier because you've got more more barriers, more things to, to think about. So I'll do uh, maybe one thing we also noted that was a differentiation between U.S. Uh, responses and international responses was 
the international response uh, or the international officers uh, commented often that they were able to reach back to their own country and get guidance mm-hmm. or help while they were in the job uh, based on people who had served previously in multinational assignments, whereas U.S. officers largely didn't have that or didn't avail themselves of okay. that resource to reach back and get some kind of guidance while they were in the job. The other thing I'll try to, to note, and it goes to one of your comments earlier, Jackie, was that uh, there really are a couple different types of multinational organizations out there. Some are more stable, enduring uh, organizations like your NATO organization. So there's much more knowledge about what goes on in them. And so that aids preparation. Uh, Others that are um, more um, temporary uh, or ad hoc task forces or operational headquarters like ISAF in Kabul, Afghanistan, um, much more turnover um, existing in those organizations. Uh, they're not uh, long or enduring or have much of a history. And in some cases, because of the turbulence in those organizations, there's not a lot of written established protocol that allows them to do some of their preparation before they even arrive. Mm-hmm. Um, so the different types of organizations in there, I think, also affect how well they can prepare. And it's also interesting, uh, coming back to your question you mentioned, uh, one of the findings was uh, pointed out by several officers reporting that they had relied on informal sources of preparation, such as uh, mentorship uh, before arrival and uh, once uh, deployed on site uh, from experienced officers uh, from their respective country or another country. Uh, but they helped them in this transition of responsibilities uh, within the staff. And also self-preparation, self-education is also important. They, uh, they emphasized on this uh, regarding uh, reading history, political uh, environment and issues, current events, uh, etc. So that is uh, an important uh, piece of their preparation, but informal, in an informal mm-hmm. way. Uh, furthermore, several interviewed reported they did not receive any kind of uh, formal preparation. Uh, the preparation was done uh, upon arrival or on site, but before they didn't uh, mm-hmm. get any kind of... So it's uh, sort of on the job and you show up. On the job, yes. And uh, another, interestingly enough, uh, is that international officers were the only ones who pointed out that uh, they had reached back to their countries for consultation, assistance, mm-hmm. for help. Uh, in the case of the U.S. officers, didn't mention this, so we imply or infer uh, that uh, most likely is because the, a, larger, a larger number of U.S. officers deployed who helped each other and mm. assist each other That's on really site. interesting. Yeah, so the so if if you're a U.S. officer in a multinational staff assignment, there's still likely other U.S. officers around you who you can talk to, throw ideas off of each other. Uh, whereas if you're a, not a U.S. service member, you might be the only one from your country, and so that reach back might be a, a different uh, a different network. So I think that's a really important important point, mm-hmm. uh, and a difference between the just the size of of militaries and the size of organizations. Um, so the second question you asked was, what did you learn in your assignment? So if the preparation beforehand is maybe minimal and informal, I imagine there's a whole lot of learning that happens on the job and in assignment. So Kristen, you want to start us with that one? 
Yeah, well, in this regard, we received a wide variety of answers related to national values, culture, resources, different uh, ways to perform and, and interact within the organization. So the study team classified them into themes. Uh, and the first one was uh, how to manage structural friction. Uh, that friction generated through the relation and interaction between the elements that compose the, the international environment. Uh, because in an international uh, staff environment, countries have to strive for a common understanding uh, in terms of sharing power, uh, allocate resources, coordinate efforts, and also uh, allied interest in a collective way. So uh, all these uh, factors uh, that countries face in these multinational endeavors across end, uh, ends, ways, and means uh, creates some structural tensions that has to be managed by leadership. And the first sub-theme is different national interest, which represents the, the ends, because interest play an important uh, role in this setting. Uh, to a great extent, interests drive the participation of countries in these international mm -hmm. environments or endeavors. Uh, and the way uh, that countries face operational uh, challenges uh, in, in, in this environment. So, for example, you can find a country that may want to deter instead of, uh, of use the power or being uh, coercive or defeat or remove the threat. Some may lean to a peace enforcement, other uh, type of, uh, of uh, mission or operation, while others may be inclined to peacekeeping uh, mm -hmm. operation. That's, I think that's an interesting idea because the, the relationship, even at the strategic level, at the highest levels of strategy and policy, have trickle-down effects to people who are doing staff work, who are making organizations run, and they're making those decisions about resource allocation right. and who's doing what, and to to what to what purposes, and all of that has to be negotiated. Right, absolutely. And in the second uh, sub theme we found out was uh, different methods for problem solving and risk tolerance, representing the ways how how they approach uh, to solve problems. And, and different mindsets drive how to approach the issues, uh, the understanding and the interpretation of any given problem. Uh, this is a challenge that was mentioned by the students and uh, because it required a common understanding. Uh, besides, caveats was emphasized on, uh, on, the, on the, the position of the interviewed. Uh, because caveats uh, stem from their own countries and place operational restrictions uh, to operational planning and the willingness to take risks. Mm -hmm. And these, just to clarify, these are things that different countries agree to do or not do based on the authorizations from their political leadership, from their military leadership. That's um, correct. That's correct. And it also has political domestic impact in, in their own countries, the decisions they make. So uh, the, the leadership of this staff uh, has to be uh, 
very acquainted of mm-hmm. those caveats. And the caveats can be sources of frustration, I imagine, if if a certain country can't send their soldiers out on patrol or can't send them to do certain tasks and can only use them in, in restricted ways. And you're looking at, at how do you allocate resources and who's assuming risk and cost. Um, I imagine that all has to be, again, negotiated <laughs> and um, right. And really or dealt with. Through. I mean, if, if those are the caveats they arrive yeah. with, are you cognizant of those? And does that understanding help you minimize the friction? Mm-hmm. Sure. And what's interesting in this regard that some students said that that difference is between countries that just show the flag, so participate, and others that really contribute. So mm-hmm. uh, it was an interesting finding uh, coming from, uh, from the interviewed. Uh, and the third sub-theme we built up uh, was the different national uh, resources representing the means because countries differ in the amount of resources allocated for these uh, uh, multinational operations. This is evident not only in material, equipment, but also in human resources. Uh, for instance, a larger nation has a bigger pool of officers to deploy and sometimes uh, with uh, more experience in, pl- in previous deployments or different professional background, education. Uh, other countries with smaller pool of officer, uh, with lower rank, they sent lower rank officers mm. to uh, cover positions for higher ranks. So it's not strange, in their words, to find a captain uh, in the position of a colonel. And sometimes that right. may create tension. Within the yeah. staff, no, I think that's I think that's a really interesting interesting point because of the size of militaries and who's responsible for what level of of organization and, and in the United States there's like a million colonels and we've got colonels <laughs> to do to do lots of uh, lots of jobs that in other places it might be done by a lower ranking officer. So I think that sort of led to a couple other findings that uh, transitioned to another lesson that sort of emerged uh, from the interviews we had and it sort of differed uh, from a US perspective and then the internationals had mm-hmm. a different perspective on on it uh, but but somewhat related to this resource manning issue that we uh, we were just talking about or that Christian was talking about. So the U.S. tended to um, harp a lot on uh, English fluency um, as an issue that created friction. Um, what, uh, what they come to find out uh, is that they experience frustration uh, around poor fluency or uh, that, that, that having the effect on slowing the pace of work down. Uh, and t- it taking longer to get things accomplished. So it feels like everything has to be said twice. Or it ha- you have to let it simmer and wait uh, mm-hmm. to, for the message to be understood uh, and then to be communicated. Um, so, Or it may take a couple, two or three times to actually effectively communicate uh, between parties that are trying to uh, work together. Uh, so that was one that uh, that created some tensions. Obviously, then when you know the U.S. Uh, doesn't have a counterpart that can speak English, we're not necessarily prepared to speak the other language, so we have to work through translators. Right. So that creates some frustrations with the amount of preparation it takes to get the translator prepared to do what you want that person to do in the conversations and then process the information sure. back and, and forth. And was that was that not a frustration on the from the international? No, Side. so the international saw it a little bit different uh, from from their perspective. What um, that the ling- the English language fluency issue didn't uh, didn't come up as important to them. But what did come up uh, as important to them was 
uh, the way we viewed uh, or perceived uh, actual uh, competency versus uh, perceived competency. Uh, and this goes to the issue of who's, uh, what rank uh, are we dealing with? In some cases, one of the, one of the comments was rank does not equal competence. Um, mm. And so mm. what, we were, what we meant by that was in some cases, you may have a captain that's representing a nation's army in that headquarters that is very competent. But because that person's a captain, they don't get the time of day because uh, they may be speaking to a colonel uh, from the U.S. side. And so they'll, the U.S. will want to sort of speak to somebody of equivalent rank. Um, but this captain, uh, well-versed in its country's interests and what um, has the competence, has the the competency to, to, make it a, yeah. a, to make it happen and the experience in some case to make it happen far beyond what some of our captains would have. And so they wanted to be judged on their actual competence and the contributions they bring mm. rather than what their rank um, may have connoted. Yeah. That um, seems like a really important, um, important lesson to take, yeah. to take away. The other one is, in some cases, they, the U.S. officers might assume simply because they're a colonel, they are competent. And sometimes the armies differed in the experience that their senior officers have had. Therefore, they didn't have the competence that was they were assumed to have. So it could go It could go, it could go either ways. way, right. Sure. And so I think that goes to the issue of uh, don't judge the book by its color <laughs> or by its cover, mm-hmm. but, uh, but actually get to know the person and know what contributions or value uh, they bring to the organization. Absolutely. Um, so the, the last piece of the study really asked the people being interviewed um, to give some advice for people who were going to go work on multinational staff. So what were some of the, the pieces of advice that, that your subjects gave? Well, most of the answers in this regard coincided with uh, how important is enhancing unity of effort uh, so how all the differences in culture, values, caveats, mindsets, etc., are harmonized for a common objective. Um, because in, in, in order to achieve this, staffers, according to their version, uh, should strive to build trustful relationships, uh, resulting ultimately in less friction and a better uh, effectiveness for the whole staff. Several participants also emphasized on socializing, interestingly enough, rather than merely issuing orders and using also guidance uh, as a way to start the conversation that eventually uh, start building uh, a solution uh, at, uh, of the problem at hand. Uh, some also highlighted skills consistent uh, with the American military concept of mission command in the sense of enabling discipline initiative to empower others in a trustful uh, sense, uh, uh, aiming for a collecting effort. So uh, big, two big, big words here, unity of effort and uh, trustful relationship. Um, but this also imply a higher risk uh, tolerance that sometimes is limited in the operational uh, uh, planning and well, uh, where the, the, the staff is working on this. And also develop soft skills uh, mm-hmm. is important, uh, like team building, positive attitude, communication that George uh, may, may give us uh, 
mean, yeah, I think what we tried to infer from some of their comments of friction points was what what skills might be helpful for them to Help to alleviate uh, them or to try to uh, right, exactly alleviate them or um, to be able to prevent some of the, the mm-hmm. friction points uh, or overcome those in in when they arrive. So part of that kind of depend on what role were they going to uh, assume there. But so we broke them down into different categories. But I think the first one started with self-awareness and are you a patient person or are you not? <laughs> if not, you better develop yeah. some. So much, so <laughs> much it's starts take with a little self-awareness, bit longer. Right? Exactly. I mean, do you have uh, the ability to empathize? Uh, are you humble enough to know I or to realize I don't know all the right answers? Um, and so you're open then to understanding things in a different way. Uh, so part of that is kind of know yourself before you walk in, and if there are things that make you sort of biased or, sure. or lean a certain way. That then sounds like solid advice regardless of what your assignment y- is. Yes, but I think in some cases this became much more yeah. tested, um, and, and that's what we kind of got from the interviewees. Uh, group leadership skills, because you tend to have a dynamic. So one of the dynamics we talked about might be U.S. officers might be more predominant in an organization, therefore they gravitate to each other to try to problem solve and mm-hmm. develop a support network. Well, what about the one or two people from different armies that don't have those um, counterparts there? So how do you create uh, group dynamics that don't create in-groups, out-groups automatically simply because of affiliations or affinities because you have commonalities? Or in the case of the um, Commonwealth countries, for example, U.S. officers might have more in common with them than they might have with other countries. Therefore, they tend to gravitate there or build relationships with them as just Mm -hmm. natural human behavior. Well, do leaders see that and try to create uh, mechanisms of creating larger superordinate goals, for example, that creates a superordinate kind of identity of the group so they can begin to work together? And management and leadership skills differed a little bit uh, across the board. I think one of the most... uh, um, Important points on that one is if there's a dominant process that's being used in that multinational headquarters, then U.S. officers need to adopt that, Mm -hmm. not the U.S. way of doing business. So to be willing to adapt to the environment absolutely and to, to go with the to go with right the flow, because in some cases the procedures were something that provided some guidance some certainty some surety mm. for the international officers to be able to move forward mm. and process things good I'd like to sort of end with a, a question that I like to ask anybody who does a research study, which is, um, what surprised you most about doing the study, either in the process of doing it or in the findings? For me, it was uh, very surprising the, the perception and misperceptions from both the U.S. officers and, uh, and international fellows regarding one another that impact uh, eventually in the effectiveness of the organization. Um, and those are mainly rooted in uh, in values, in culture, in uh, mindsets. Uh, but if the staffers are aware of that, they can uh, they can be overcome. Uh, was very interesting to me to find that. I, I think for me, I think I'd go back to the pre- the preparation question. Uh, I was surprised that uh, across the board we have one thing in common: our institutions don't do a very good job of preparing <laughs> us for these assignments. I mean, some do better than others. Uh, I think originally one of our questions was trying to have them identify a country that might do something particularly well. Mm-hmm. Uh, therefore, that might be a model we would go after to kind of help inform the development of our elective. And I think across the board, there wasn't anybody that did it particularly well. Okay. Um, 
so I think in that case, we probably all uh, could pay attention to what we do institutionally to prepare our officers, uh, soldiers, um, and other military personnel to go into these multinational staffs. Sometimes identifying a, a gap in our training or education is, is the first the first step into the development of the elective. Even having the conversation, I think, is an important uh, important first step. So I'll look forward to publications that come out of this study, uh, and we'll look forward to hearing more uh, from students as they as they think about this. So Christian and George, thanks so much for joining me today and talking about uh, how we can better prepare officers to serve in multinational staff assignments and to make them successful once they get there. And uh, just to, to give us some takeaway words, right, self-awareness, preparation, trust, culture, and sort of processes. All are important things to uh, to look at. So thanks so much for your time. It's been a pleasure. Thank Great. you, Jackie. Thanks for giving us time to share our, our research work. Here. And that concludes our program. Thank you for listening. The views expressed in this podcast reflect those of the speakers and do not necessarily reflect the views, policies, or positions of the U.S. Army or the Department of Defense. Let us know what you think. Provide us your feedback, comments, or suggestions through our webpage at warroom.armywarcollege.edu. And have a great day.